All right, folks, welcome to the Weekly Munchies Knitted Show. I'm your host, as always, Brad Pitt. I'm my regular co-host, the fantastic comic. Wigan, how are you doing, mate? All good, how's things, mate? Good. All good. No complaints. How could we have any complaints? We're going to do something that's totally unique. We're going to try to be happy on this, <laughs> on this podcast today. Um, happy podcast. Four wins on the track since Brantford. And I look at that Brantford game and... We sat in this podcast, and it seems ridiculous now to talk about this, and I'm sure you're going to let me know that, um, about relegation. And such is the madness of Manchester United that you look at this and you're going, how can you go from relegation form over 20 games to Peter Drury talking about after the game, maybe being in a discussion for a table? I don't think they are, but... Um, but a team that could be taken serious in that discussion, how do you go from Arnautovic and Rabio to Casemiro and Anthony? I mean, such is the ridiculous contrast. United can embarrass you really easy because you can put out a, a comment and a week later it looks ridiculous. Um, and, and I'm looking at this and I'm going, football world is mad. And we've also got some encouraging news that... The Glazers, uh, considering as we've been talking about on the pod for weeks, <clears throat> um, some progress being made there with potential CEO. Um, we've seen some other people come out with a guy now, as we include Wogo and others. So, first of all, mate, uh, last time we recorded was pre Leicester. Uh, you were over at the Leicester game. What was that like? Well, first of all, before we touch on that, I think it's important that we together speak about the times whenever we're wrong on this podcast. I've been wrong plenty of times. Um, obviously, I, I jumped on Carragher's bandwagon about Martinez, and I was completely wrong about that. I mean, the discussion about relegation now seems ridiculous, but even at the time, to me, it was ridiculous. So I think that the fact that we even spoke about that was embarrassing for both of us because <laughs> it was never... It was we embarrassing were never, for me. Well... You know, it could be back in that situation in four weeks, wouldn't I? <clears throat> You never we'll, know. I didn't. We'll never get relegated. But, but moving on, moving on to Leicester. Hmm. Moving mm. on to Leicester. What an unbelievable game to be at. I'm going again to Palace away this Sunday. Um, can't wait for it. But Leicester was just something <clears> special. <throat> I mean, obviously the game. I would have liked to see us close it off, grab another goal, finish mm. it. It was a bit cagey towards the end, but really, Leicester didn't show anything out of the ordinary. I don't even think. Other than that, one unbelievable save from the from James Madison. He didn't really have much to do. And again, that's another thing we should touch on as well today because you know, people have been very quick to criticize the hair and say, Oh, we should never let Dean Henderson go. Look how many goals Dean Henderson shipped this season compared to David De Gea. And I think it's important that we touch on these things as well. Yes, De Gea, as a team we were collectively terrible against Brighton and Brentford. And I think that that can be put to one side now. Since then, we've turned the corner. There's a different camaraderie around this this team at the moment. Something's just clicked. Whether it's Tin Hag getting them in for that run that Sunday and joining in that run himself, whether it's the new signings, everything. Roy Keane touched on it last night. This is different. This is the Manchester United of mm. old back again. Well, some certainly some ingredients there. I want to touch on something you said there because. I've been thinking a lot about this for a while now, about David De Gea and his ability to play from the back. And, you know, I'm just convinced that there are no really good goalkeeper footballers. And every time, if you watch football, you'll see the same mistake made by keepers all the time. I was watching the old firm game this weekend, Celtic Rangers. And the Rangers keeper done exactly what David De Gea did at Brentford. I watched Arsenal last week against Fulham and Ramsdale... They get caught out playing from the back and they conceded a goal. Ramsdale gave the ball away yesterday to Bruno Fernandes or, to, or was it, I can't remember, Bruno Fernandes should have scored. And the reality is playing from the back is extremely risky because if you make one mistake, the team's on top and it's a goal. And it's if you make that mistake anywhere else on the pitch, no one even mentions it. But now you're sitting with a keeper who's being pressed. And when it's when the game's in flow, you can get away with it because you can pass the ball and everything's moving. When the, when, whenever it's a set piece and the opposition is set to mark you, it's really hard to get out. It's really, really hard to do. 
and so I'm looking at this and I'm going, there aren't just that, there aren't any. I know people talk about Edison and Allison and everything, but they aren't, I mean, we're not talking about one keeper being Johan Cruyff and one keeper being, you know, Titus Bramble. They, they, I mean, they're all more or less the same. I mean, they, could, they can all play football. And playing out from the back is also highly contingent upon the movement of the back four in front of you. Now, what you can really criticise the head is that Brantford game, right? I mean, what that, that decision to put the ball to Ericsson was, was unbelievable, right? I mean, that's something you coach at under seven football. You know, it's just still defies belief. But this happens a lot, actually. And it's a really, really easy thing to get wrong. And then all the focus is on, oh, he doesn't do this, he doesn't do that, he's not good with his feet, he's not this. You know, and like we were, I, I got lynched last week for saying Dean Henderson was just a, a above average goalkeeper and his distribution was was poor too. And we saw it again at the weekend. It was It was poor. But it's a hard skill to per- perfect, to be fair. And I, I think that it's... You know, I think it's dependent it on, on the back line. Yeah. It's dependent on the back line because I, I've said this before. Maguire, to me, just instills panic in any back line that he's a part of. When he came on on Saturday, it was like shaky. First thing he does mm-hmm. is get yellow-carded. Mm-hmm. And I think that's evident in that whenever De Gea is playing out from the back with Maguire, it just doesn't work. You watch De Gea's distribution... This weekend at Liverpool, there was a ball I seen him pick out Anthony, and I honestly thought it was Paul Scholes in that. There, there's a difference, and I'm not saying that the head is unbelievable with the ball on his feet, but he's a lot better whenever the players in front of him are more comfortable on the ball. Whenever it's Harry Maguire, it's different, and unfortunately, Maguire is being found out for that now. Maguire, I said this the other day, brings a nervousness to United's defending, and maybe it's muscle memory, PTSD. I don't know, right? I also see a broken man in Harry Maguire. I also see a guy that doesn't believe he can ever play at the levels that you need to play at to be a Manchester United centre-back right now. I th- I think for him, that move to Chelsea, if it had to come off, would have been a good move for him. I think part of the problem is for Maguire and I that his replacement is a cult hero with the fans. He's everything Maguire is, and I don't want to make sit here and, and put the boot in the Maguire. He's had that done enough. But there are some inescapable facts, and Luke Shaw is in exactly the same situation. We've seen the best of Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire. Neither of them are close to the best of Malasia and Martinez, and it's not just individual, it's as a team in how they support each other. I mean, I watched that Liverpool game come, and the way Martinez and Malasia supported each other with Salah was incredible. Saka, brilliant young player, right? They've done it again at the weekend. And they're being asked questions in games where they've been asked these questions in previous games and come up with all the wrong answers. Ten Hag's adjusted his tactics to be much more practical with the team that he has. It shows. And the first thing you have to do in any team is be hard to beat before you're great to watch. You make your team hard to beat. But secondly, if you have a crap defence, I don't care how good your midfielders are, I don't care how good your forwards are, because when you concede, it saps morale, it saps confidence, it changes momentum, it changes everything. doesn't matter if you've got a 40-goal, you know, Newcastle have found this out, lots of teams have found this out. You can't win anything without a good defence. That's the foundation that everything's built on, and it looks like Ten Hag's got that right. I think, I disagree with you on the point that we've seen the best of Harry Maguire, because we haven't. I think I've said this before on this podcast. I think there is a player in there. It might be hard for us to see. Maybe he will have to go elsewhere and play. But it's one of those things that I do think that there is a player there. We haven't seen it yet. From what we've seen of Maguire, we've seen inconsistency, panic setting in on the ball, a captain who isn't really a captain because he can't lead on the pitch. It's it's not it's not in his inventory to do so. From what from what it looks on the outside looking in. Obviously, we'd need to know what goes mm-hmm. on the inside to see if he really is a good captain. But I don't think he is. And and to be honest with you, I do think there's still a player there. And it worries me that if an injury to Martinez or an injury to Varane mm-hmm. and Harry Maguire gets thrown back into it, because I think he needs eased back into it. So he's going to start against Sociedad on Thursday night. That's that's for certain. Let's see how he fares there. Let's see if we can get his confidence back. With Shaw, unfortunately, I agree with you. Like, I, I think it's completely over. For Luke Shaw, I don't think he'll ever make it at Manchester United again as a starting left back. My last year just brings a tenacity. Like he just reminds me so much of Everett. Yeah. 
He's just so tenacious in everything he does. He again, like we're, we're celebrating, the defense are celebrating together. I Dallow, talk about Dallow for a second. We came yeah. him in this podcast for a few weeks. The kid's been unbelievable. Yeah. Proper, proper good. And I think that game, that's a confidence thing. So we have to understand that that that's the back four now. The back four is picking yeah. itself. And I think as well, Eric Ten Hag has shown that, yes, he's saying Casemiro. And it was very important, if you listen to his pre-match comments about Anthony starting, where he said he knows the system. He's in. He can play. He Casemiro's been there two weeks. Why is he not he, he not started yet? Because Scott McTominay's playing unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And that sets a precedent throughout the team to say, I don't care who you are, how big you are. If you play well and you perform on the pitch, you're going to start every game. And that's what Scott McTominay's done the last two weeks. Scott McTominay before that was shit. Perfectly honest, he was shit at the start of the season. Well, Terrible. You're right. Nah, mate, you're right. But I think there's a there's a couple of things to unpack there. Uh, to me, one of the most prescient um, commentaries on Harry Maguire, especially looking back, was Paul Merson when he said. So I think there's horses for courses. I think there's certain players that are particularly good in certain systems of teams that suit them. And when you look at what Merson said, I'm sure you've seen it, but it is absolutely spot on, right? When you play Maguire up high, he gets rinsed in behind. I mean, he got booked right away at the weekend for more or less the same thing. He caught out in possession that they on the halfway line, boom, he gets rinsed, right? And so he's great if you've got a low block and you have him in the box heading balls away and all that there, right? No problems. But at United... Because they press, they play high, it's not suited to his skill set. I, I agree with you in the sense that there's certain psychological factors that aren't helping Maguire. And I just think a move would do him good at the right club. I agree with you in the right club, the right team. There is a player there. But I care about why he plays for Manchester United. And he doesn't exhibit the attributes you need to be a Manchester United captain. Right? I mean, we don't get contracts United for a community outreach program. You have to earn it. This is supposed to be elite-level athlete. It's cruel because there's decisions being made about people and about players that um, it can seem really harsh. But, 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 but Ten Hag has to get these right. And he gave Maguire rope to hang himself. Oh, that's a bad analogy. But he gave Maguire the ability... He gave him a chance. He said, you go, you're going to play the first few games. You're my captain. You have to play your way out of the team. Now he's got to play his way in. And what I like when you talk about McTominay Durden, it's a good example. I want to see Casemiro too. But one of the things that Manchester United that's been lacking over the years, come is consequences for failure and the fact that winning football games isn't the most important thing. Now winning football games is the most important thing at the football club. And that's what gets rewarded, how you play on a pitch. And so now whoever starts on Thursday, it's not like it was in the past where you was you were rotating mediocrity because whoever played didn't play well and then you were rotating them out and you were hoping to find a solution. Now it's about if you play on Thursday, going through the motions is not an option. You must make sure you come out, bust your balls and do everything you can to get back in that team. Because if I'm Luke Shaw, I'm thinking World Cup. If I'm Harry McGuire, I'm thinking World Cup going, how do I get back in this team? How do I get back in this team? I mean, when you look at the before and after, when you look at what happened to Brentford, I mean, and what's happened since, it's not just the individual performance of Malasia Martinez and the back four, it's the results. It's the way the team is playing. And for me, it's like, you know, Alex Tallis came in and pushed Luke Shaw, wasn't the crowd favourite. Malasia is a crowd favourite now. You know, and, and this is the situation for Juan Bissaka. You know, where are you getting back in that team, son? All these players that are going to play on Thursday will have to play the best game they've played at United to get even consideration for Palace, which is a very difficult game. So he was right to keep McTominay in the team because you have to reward that. If you're playing well and you take somebody out because you want to put your favourite guy in, that sends a terrible message to players. And... He's got a bang on with Ronaldo too. By the way, Cristiano Ronaldo's body language is probably the best it's ever been at United. I think I think that's also because we're winning games now. And I think it's also because the team looks good. Ronaldo Ronaldo's not not stupid. Ronaldo understands. You've seen his reaction when Anthony scores. Yeah. He understands football. He understands that 
yes, he is still seeing throwing his arms whenever things don't go his way. That's just him. You have to take that with Ronaldo. That's how he plays football. That's why he is who he is. You can't change that about him. And I think, you know, ultimately for the rest of the season, I don't even know if he'll stay the rest of the season. I think maybe January he leaves, depending on how well we're doing. I think there's a possibility he leaves in January. But even if he doesn't and he stays for the year, he's going to have to realise that he's not going to start every game. I think I actually did think he would have started on Sunday, to be honest with you. I didn't think Anthony would have been thrown in um, at the deep end like he was. And obviously, he he done really well. But, you know, Riceford now, again, he's another player we need to speak about. Riceford's turned it on the past couple of weeks. I mean, he was unbelievable this weekend. It was like Riceford of old whenever we first seen him. And that's what we need again. Riceford has missed out on that because, again, I think it's confidence issues over the past couple of years yeah. he hasn't got a, a run of games he hasn't got things going his way now it is let's see how good he can actually be Martial coming back how good can Martial be when he's happy playing football but see one of the things you're seeing negativity and positivity in your rate spreads like wi-fi right um once once you have that toxic vibe in the dressing room it just it affects everyone now you're seeing the opposite now you're seeing team spurt spread through a team now you're seeing the group setting has completely changed from being one of complete disillusionment and complete um, disconnection from the football club to you, if you want to play for this football club, you have to play to your skin, right? And one of the things you get with someone like Lissandra Martinez, you know, um, you know, he is such a competitive guy that going through the motions is not an option. And that affects everybody around you, right? So all you, you see these fist bumps, you see these, they're, they're taking pride in their performance, they're taking pride in the result, they're desperate to win, desperate to win. And that's all we ever ask. Look, United will lose games this season, they shouldn't. They'll have bad performances, they'll get found out in some games, and, and United fans will complain and we'll all complain. But you have to look at it over the course of a season. If Ten Hag gets United in the top four, and if he gets United into a position next summer, where they only need two or three additions because the vast majority of the sentence have worked out. Ten Hag's done an exceptional job, in my opinion, because where United were after Brantford was a serious reality check, and the football club also had to recognise that by adjusting their budget and their ambition, which clearly changed. You know, they added another hundred odd million to the budget after Brantford had to happen. So, to me, I think. Uh, there's so many things that are moving in the right direction. Obviously, there's we'll, we'll get to the potential uh, sale of football club in a bit. Um, I think they've had a good window. You know, we're never going to address all their problems in one window. So it's we've always talked about managers needing three, four windows, right? Well, we were talking three years when Tan Hag came in, and Rania gratefully said, if you do it right within three, you could do it in over three windows. So now we're talking about possibly by next summer, if everything goes according to plan, that can happen between now and then, of course. You know, then all of a sudden we're seeing a football club that looks like it's heading in the right direction, and we've been deprived of this for so long. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, the VAR controversy yesterday is a, is a joke, but it's an illustration of just how much Manchester United winning games bothers people, and. Uh, and we'll get to that in a minute, but I must say it feels great to be watching all the outrage online. It is. I think that's part and parcel of being a Manchester United fan. Like we we've said it before again on this podcast about how there's a media frenzy about everything that goes on at Manchester United, and because right now that there's nothing that they can attack in terms of the team, the performance on the pitch. Now it's VAR. Now it's going to be something to do with. I don't know, something that's going on behind the scenes. There's things just made up at this football club constantly because that's the only way of attacking Manchester United. And I think as well, it's a testament to the players on the pitch that there's nothing else at the moment that can be attacked. Those last four performances have been the best that we've probably seen in the past three years, I'd say. Probably since Solskjaer went and beat Spurs away. Was that the last game that we really seen the Solskjaer-type performance? I think it maybe was. But... From what we've seen, it's been so few and far between games where you can actually be happy about being a Manchester United fan. Like you know yourself, there was games we were looking for. You weren't even looking forward to. You knew you were going to get beat. You knew um, there was a good chance you were going to draw. You were going to get beat. It was shocking for about eighteen months there. 
for I really wasn't like even towards the end of last season. I I didn't even watch the Brighton game. I actually recorded it, and someone thankfully told me to score. I think I was coaching kids that day or something. I can't remember. And I was like, I'm not even gonna watch this. And I've never done that. I mean, I will watch United no matter what. But it was it was just genuinely too painful to watch. Now we've been here before as United fans. I mean, I remember the eighties. Um, I remember some disastrous times. I remember some disastrous results. You know, who could forget the six-one against Spurs? So we've we've sat through these before, but this was just so painful because there was no positives. It was like this is such a serious situation, and I don't know how it gets fixed. Um, but do you think it's us settling for mediocrity that that you've said there ten minutes ago about the fact that? You know, we should be happy if we get top four. Mm. Why not take Peter Drury's line of thinking and say, you know what, we could be title contenders. This team have turned it on. Two losses don't don't change a whole season. Two losses at the start of the season have set us up for something much better because the team looks like an actual team since that. Maybe that was the best thing that happened to us. Look at the, look at some of the other teams in the league. I I truthfully think at the moment I would fancy us at home to the city. We've already beat Liverpool at home. I would fancy us at home to the city at the moment, and that's not me getting ahead of myself. I I need to obviously be a realist at the same time, but I do. I genuinely think that we have the ability now to win those big games, whereas before, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a possibility. Well, we talked on the show a couple of weeks ago about I can't look at a single Premier League fixture and see United can win. Because that's how low my expectations. Now we're sitting here saying we'll beat City and win the league. It's not about accepting mediocrity. It's not about any of that. Uh, I recognise that to climb Mount Everest, you can't grow wings and get there just because you're the best climber in the world. You have to climb that step by step by step and you have to respect the process. City are still miles ahead of United in every capacity. I mean... United could beat them on a given game, I have no doubt about that, but over 38 games, will United win enough games? I, I don't even think that's fair to expect that of United right now. I think that, like I said, they didn't address all their problems in one window. Um, they're moving in the right direction right now. I like where they're going, but realistically, to compete with a Manchester City to have the depth for Ten Hag's tactics to be completely integrated, for him to have the players to pull off exactly how he wants to play, I mean, if you look at Klopp's first season, you look at Guardiola's first season, and Guardiola was getting criticised in his first season heavily. Klopp finished the eighth, and always took over in October. Um, this type of thing takes time. And as great as things are, like I said, United will lose games this season. They're going to lose games they shouldn't. They're going to have bad performances. Martinez will make a mistake. And, and all of a sudden, all these arseholes that are desperate to criticise him, right? Um, will come out and say, see, I told you so. They won't give him any credit when he plays well. They'll disappear. But they'll wait until he makes a mistake. And they'll all come out and they'll look at the guy and it goes, and I'll also bring it up and they'll go, look, 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 look. Because that's, you know, that's what... See, you see this now with talk sport, right? I'm convinced there's somebody in the production room calling in talk sport and saying, let's get the most ridiculous Manchester United fan on the phone. We're banging it on Twitter and we'll get loads of wound up Man United fans interaction, interacting with this. I'm convinced that's what happens. I mean, because there was a guy on today, apparently too much focus on the Glazers, that's scripted bullshit, right? There's no fan calling in saying that, that's just nonsense, right? And so, you had it, like, I mean, we look at this VAR situation, it wasn't even a wrong decision, it was a free kick. He comes to get all day. He comes, day. and then I hear, oh, maybe he was a little bit pregnant or was pregnant. Look, sorry that you think it's soft. Oh, come on, just let them have it. It's Arsenal. Give him a goal. It's against Man United. I hate Man United. I want them to lose so bad. Now, where was this outrage when McTominay was son? Where was this outrage with Rodri at Goodison Park last, se- last season? Right? I mean, West Ham goal against the Chelsea goal at West Ham has barely been mentioned. And the focus is on a correct decision. I mean, basically the argument is give Arsenal one free foul so they can score. Right? It, it's a foul all day. Everybody. Of course, it's a foul. He comes through the back of him, doesn't even touch the ball. So if, 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 if the referee gets it wrong and they score a goal, the biggest advantage you can get in football 
is something that assists you in a goal, right? If you find out in the process that you acquired an unfair advantage to score a goal, that's the whole point of VAR. Not, oh, it has to be, it's a course to clear an obvious error. It's a free kick. The goal shouldn't count. You should not be 1-0 up. You committed a foul in the process to score a goal. Now, what was it, uh, Lindelof? I think it was at West Brom. Uh, ball comes in, grabs him. Right? Oh, yeah, Scores yeah. that header, right? No free kick. Now, you know the fans were rightfully upset over it, right? So, the, if you want to have a wider discussion about the efficacy of VAR, do that. But you can't turn around and pick, well, I don't like it because of this. Or, I don't like it because of that. I mean, you never knocked out of the FA Cup last year by Middlesbrough, by the most blatant handball you've ever seen in your life, and somehow it wasn't given. And he acquired an advantage and scored a goal. But I think with VAR, you have to be all in or all out. So, for example, these decisions are, are well and good, but it has to be consistent. And I think that's the problem with a lot of people is the consistency with VAR just isn't there. And that's the nature of having something like VAR. However, the the, the ironic thing about it is that VAR is there to eliminate human error, but there's still human error with VAR. Well, so that's the difference on it. The problem is, mate, a lot of football is subjective. <laughs> you very rarely get objective decisions. Like a corner is an objective decision, right? Hits off somebody, goes out throwing. But whenever you're for a game, a fast-flowing game, and you're slowing it down to tiny increments, then you can pretty much find fault anywhere. Anywhere. You can find fault. Like that goal that was disallowed for Brighton yesterday. Alexis McAllister, Jesus, what a goal, right? And I can see that your argument, let it go because it's such a great goal, right? But I sympathize with referees in this situation. I mean, do we turn around and say, well, I'm going to let the great goals go. I'm going to let the decisive ones go. Or, you know, we'll give the benefit of the doubt to the attacker. Well, what does that even mean? What's the threshold? Is it a, an inch, a yard, two yards, half a yard? What I mean, one but guy that's what said, I mean. See this benefit but that's what it. I'm saying is there's just so much subjectivity in it. It's really difficult to get a decision that two people won't disagree over. I know a lot of people will probably came me for this, but I would prefer if the AR wasn't in football. I prefer the human error mm. element. Made it more no, exciting. See this, see this not being able to celebrate a goal. I know. Because you don't know if it's if it's going to be a goal or not, and a player's hesitant, and then they're afterwards celebrating. It's all just a complete shambles. Mm-hmm. VAR to me needs to be black and white, or else it needs to be no more. And I preferred football when there was that human error element to it, when maybe there was referees' decisions going against United some weeks, because there was there was decisions went for you and decisions went against you. Obviously, it's still the same with VAR, but it just seems to be that you don't know what decision you're going to get with VAR because one week you get it and one week you don't, so there's no consistency. I think where technology has a role in football is like goal line technology, right? Yeah. That is straightforward. No question about it, that has made the game better. And I initially was completely in favour of VAR, but now I see it as I, I'm with you. I, I'm like, look, you know what? I accept because we're still, we was brought in to eliminate things like the Thierry Henry situation, right? Where I, I, I completely understand that, right? <clears throat> and um, those are bad decisions and they, should, they shouldn't happen at the highest level. Um, but trying to break, trying to turn football into the NFL, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, stop, is killing the, 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 the abstract beauty of football because you're breaking it down to these incremental parts and, and it's taking the joy out of it. I mean, you're sitting there, you're scoring a goal, which is the most climactic thing in the game. And you're, should I should be happy? And then three minutes later when the referee says goal, the moment's gone. It doesn't feel anything like it, it did when it happened. And so I look at this and I'm thinking, this sort of reminds me of going and looking at a Vincent van Gogh picture and breaking it down into pieces instead of just admiring its complete beauty and saying, you know what, you don't need to break beautiful things down and explain them bit, bit by bit by bit, just appreciate the beauty that it is. And I, I think that 
I know people will argue VAR is used better on the continent and all that, though. it possibly is. Um, but right now, do I think it's added a net benefit to football? I'm going to say no. Now, admittedly, Arsenal scored yesterday with their VAR, right? But I'll take that over the course of a season because I still think you, you end up with a better, a better spectacle. Definitely. I, th- I think, obviously, as well, we're, we're going to be critical of VAR points this season and we're not going to be critical. And that, that's just the way it goes. It swings it swings and rounds. But honestly, to be honest with you, VAR to us hasn't really been beneficial other than that what that one decision there at the weekend where it stops their goal. So for us this season, that's really the only decision we've got. And it was clear and obvious that's an error. So how can people say it's not? And that's the bit where it needs to be taken away from. Obviously, it has to be like a black and white decision. It needs to be quicker and that's it. I think the referee taking so long at the weekend, that should be in his ear straight away to say, look, it's a foul, that's it. You don't even need to go watch that because it's a foul. Why should the referee have to go if someone's already told him it's a foul? And that's where it's used differently on the continent. You know, on the continent now, at the beginning, they were going to watch on the screen at the side of the pitch, but now it's just in the rear. Yep, and that's it. Done, dusted. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't think it's uh, much to the game. Um, I'd also touch on something now, but I want to go back to the match of the weekend about Ronaldo. And uh, there's times when he's looked like, you know, the, the, being on the United bench is the worst place, is the last place he wants to be. But I have to be honest, his body language, even against Liverpool, when he had scored, um, and then when he came on the field, his desperation to score, to force himself back in that team, that's really healthy, I think. And so I think um, I, I, I don't have a problem. I, I also disagree and thought about this a lot that he would ruin his legacy had he left. He wouldn't have. He would have been forgiven over in a, in a year or two past. People would have forgotten about it. There's no question. Um, but this version of Ronaldo is, to me, a massive benefit to this football club. I agree. And, and see, to be honest, a lot of people probably, I, again, I haven't watched the match back since I was at it at Leicester, but when he came on to me, he looked as if he was in the game. He looked as if he benefited us when he came on against Liverpool. When he came on, as you say, he wanted to score. He showed something different. He showed a different side to him that maybe we haven't seen this season yet. Probably didn't really see much of that last season because he was in the team every week. Now he wants to force his way back into the team. He can benefit us. He can benefit players like Anthony who can learn off him. He can benefit mm-hmm. Rashford. I there's definitely games where Ronaldo's going to start this season. There's oh, going to sure. be games where he's going to he's going to get the shepherds and he's going to be on the bench and he's going to have to live with Rashford's it. done his hamstring. Again, that's another thing. We don't know if he has or if he hasn't. We don't know how long Martial's going to be out injured for. We think he might be back on Thursday. I don't know. So there's so many opportunities for Ronaldo this season. And if he is going to play, maybe it is that we are going to have to change our game plan when Ronaldo plays. Because I know Ten Hag said in his uh, press conference that Ronaldo can press and Ronaldo can do this. I personally don't think Ronaldo can. So it might well be that we have to change. And again, you know, God forbid we lose that game. Everyone will be on Ronaldo's back to say that it's Ronaldo's fault, and I think that's that just comes with the territory of being Ronaldo this season at United. But another one's Fred, for example. Fred needs to push himself into this team to play alongside Casemiro. He starts at Brazil. Fred's massively underrated for us. Everyone gets on Fred's back. A lot of people just are straight down Fred's throat. When Fred plays higher up the pitch, he's an asset to this football club. He showed that when Ranić played him further forward I think how many goals did he get maybe six seven towards the end of the season when he played him further forward he does it for Brazil every game he plays alongside Casemiro and he's great in there so why can he not do it for Manchester United again he's another one needs to force his way into the team and it's going to be tough but the best piece of business that this football club done was Christian Eriksen and I I was I was unsure of it at the beginning I mean this guy is running around. Why could the board not have done this five years ago? I know. They, like, they did. It's, they, just, they, like, yeah. it's just Manchester United, isn't it? But one of these things, like, he's unbelievable. What he's doing on the pitch at the moment is honestly phenomenal. He is just everyone. I think, like me personally, I wasn't too sure if he was going to be able to do it. Again, I wasn't too sure after seeing him what happened, if he was ever going to be that player again. Oh, my God. Everything he's doing at the moment is unbelievable. So as for as long as that continues, it's great because he's such an asset for us on the pitch. Oh mate, his attitude, his body language, everything is just—he's uh, just the type of guy to dream to have. He's almost another Juan Mata in that sense, yeah. where you know you want him to marry your daughter. And I'm looking at Ericsson and I'm going three games in a week, a year after you've had this horrible heart issue, 
and your best game of the three was the third one against Arsenal. Played through the lines, beautiful. They couldn't, they, they didn't know what to do with him. They couldn't track him. He was finding space everywhere. Um, you know, but I think it also allows Bruno to put. To play a different game. Well, he and does, but man, I think this is also Fred's problem, because for Fred to play further forward, he has to take either um, Bruno Fernandez's place or yeah. Ericsson, and the contrast is massive. And you also said something earlier in this podcast, which he's mentioning. Ten Hag more or less knows his best eight or nine, right? And I think there's one or two positions he's not settled on a hundred percent. And you were saying the team picks it, the, the back four picks itself. I think the team more or less picks itself right now. I expect that he would drop Alanga at the weekend because Alanga's been probably the least impressive of all the players where you could say he's nailed down his position. And I thought, I didn't think they'd start Ronaldo because I thought they're going to want to press Arsenal's back four and they're very quick. So, you know, that would be a weakness. And you can't let them get into that second line of transition um, because they, they can hurt you. Right, so I expected that United would press them, um, especially at back four, and especially after what they did against Fulham, um, or they showed vulnerability back there. Uh, they're a team with a glass jaw, right? They have fantastic talent. They're lovely to watch, but every top team should beat them because of their weaknesses. Is still the same. I'm so glad they could not get Lissandra Martinez because he would have given them much needed bait that they badly need. And I'm telling you right now, that game yesterday, <clears throat> United don't win that game if that game had come two weeks ago. Because Rashford straight through on goal, his confidence is starting to grow, doesn't take that chance if he doesn't take the one against Liverpool. right? Uh, other positions, other players with confidence, they're starting to grow now, starting to believe in themselves. Um, I think, uh, and the way Ten Hag has adjusted his tactics to be more pragmatic, shows one what a top manager he is. And we're talking about you know, previous managers, how long did it take them to work out who their best eleven was? How many times did we see rotation, rotation, rotation because of mediocrity, because no one was locking down a position? We don't see it anymore. We're, the, if you're sitting on this bench, this Manchester United team, you've got two choices. You play your way in or you leave. That's exactly what should have happened. Maguire would want the Maguire drop for the for longest time. Nine. But then what, what happens with the captaincy here? So like you're in a, a catch-22 situation because yeah. Maguire comes on at the weekend, he takes the armband off Bruno. First thing he does is he clatters Jesus. Yes, it's a bad ball from Casemiro, but at the end of the day, Harry Maguire's found out of position almost and ends up with a yellow card instantaneously. Let me ask you yes. Let me ask you yes, mate. Do you think the players respect Maguire as their captain? I don't. I don't know. I, I think... I can't answer it. I don't know. I truthfully don't know. But I, I think yeah. if, if they don't, then Ten Hag, he's shown already he's got the cojones to make decisions. Make another big decision. Do it now. Stamp yeah. your authority on the squad. Give it to Bruno. Give it to, to someone who's going to play every week. Because right now we're looking at it and it doesn't look as if Maguire's going to play every week. Why is he your captain? United have had captains in the past. They've been out injured you know, for months. <clears throat> and so, I mean, King was out injured for... Eight months. No, they've had players where this. But is this isn't an reason. this isn't an injury. This is you've been dropped. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not. No, I know, but 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 the point is dropped. that there's been a, an acting captain on the pitch. Someone's taking the armband. If Maguire's sitting on the bench for the vast majority of the season, that's three quarters of it. He's not. He's someone else is a de facto captain anyway. You know, it's more it's more a, a symbolic thing than anything else. He's not really. Yeah, you get the armband, but you don't get the respect. You don't lead your team. You know, you 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 aren't really a captain. And so, you know, I think uh, I think when you look at some of the players in that United team, uh, I think Bruno Fernandez gets more respect from his peers. But do you do you not think then? Because you, what you've just told me, you've said that you don't think the players fancy Maguire's captain. You don't think that they have respect for him. I don't know where I'm just Hag, guessing. Yeah, yeah, no, no, sorry. Again, I'm just uh, saying, but, right, so should Ten Hag not read the room and say the best decision I can make for this football club right now, they instill this into this squad and let them know that I'm the manager, I make the decisions. Sometimes I get things wrong too because at the start of the season, he came out and he backed Maguire's as captain. Should mm. he not say to the squad, you know what, 
change of plan here, that's the captain. Does that not set another something the, on the Maguire that says he needs to play his way back in the team? What's the nah, benefit? He already, ask me? he already knows he has to play his way back in the team. I don't know if taking the captaincy of him would change much. The question is, what's the cost benefit of that decision? Who benefits and, and what's the cost? But the the benefits are for there for all to see, just like for the what, way he hasn't what played happen? Ronaldo. What would, what would change? I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm there's there's a reaction amongst the squad to say, well, look, one second, Ten Hag doesn't mess about here. That's but it. A few shouldn't that be obvious by now? Shouldn't that be well, obvious by now? Because I mean, take a look at Ronaldo. He's, he's benched Ronaldo. He's benched Maguire, who is the captain. He's benched Luke Shaw. He's but these these are decisions he's made. So my point is, is that Ten Hag was the one that made the decision to keep Maguire captain. To have that humility about you to say to the team, you know what, I did make a mistake keeping Harry Maguire captain. But he's not really said that anyway. By leaving but he out, said it, it, but he hasn't acted on it. But the thing is, if Maguire's not playing and someone else is taking that captaincy, that armband, if Maguire plays his way back into the team and he plays, keep your armband. No, but again, for, for playing him. But if he's not playing, he's not the captain anyway. But is Maguire a better captain than Bruno Fernandes for you? I don't know, to be honest. I, I, no, I, 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 don't, I, I don't think he's a better captain, but that's... I'm not sure Bruno Fernandes is the best captain either, and I honestly think that there's, like, this is symbolic, right? What matters is who leads on the pitch. You know, United once had Brian Robson and Roy Keane on the pitch. Two, you know, Roy Keane wasn't the captain when Brian Robson was there, but he was a he, he was a de facto, or, or he was another captain. You know, so that leadership doesn't necessarily come from the guy that wears the armband. And I don't know what benefit it would be to the squad at this point to turn around and further humiliate Maguire and say, I'm stripping you the captaincy. Now I know you're not getting back on the team. I'm going to take that captaincy off you. Because the rest of the players don't really look at him as a captain anyway. And so I would think, what's, what benefit does that provide to the group? You know, you, you know how lads work, right? <clears throat> and how group dynamics work. Go back to when you were in school and you were in a classroom, you had a good idea of everyone's personality of the 15, 20 boys in your class. And they were all to think differently. There was the shy one, there was the funny ones, there was the you know confident ones, there were all of those. And soon enough, the dynamic would emerge of who the leaders of that group were. They weren't given that role. They assumed it, they took it. And that's exactly the same as what happens in the dressing room. The leaders emerge. You don't pick them, they pick them, they, they, they pick themselves. They, you, you pick the leaders based on their personalities. Not as a reward or not as, you know, so, so I understand if you were an armband or not, that really doesn't mean much in terms I understand of how they inspire those around you. But there has to be some sort of give and take with a club captain sitting on the bench every week. He's the club captain. He's the one that has mm -hmm. to do things that other things that we don't see as fans in the background that he has to do. Why is he still the club captain? If if he's really he's not up to that standard, I he's not at the standard of being a club captain. He's never been the standard of being a club captain, and that's probably his biggest downfall was that he was thrust into that position. So why not take that responsibility off him to give him the peace of mind when he comes back in that it's less of a daunting prospect I don't know. if he can't make I think it would cost him endorsements. I think it would cost him, you know, Manchester United captain is a great selling point for your your market, your merchandise company and all that. I don't think it helps him at all. I but, don't know if you're saying a Manchester United captain and sat on the bench for 38 games this season, do you know what I mean? So Yeah, but he only again, sat on the bench the last few weeks. Those endorsement deals will be years old. You know, so, I mean, I don't think it helps him at all. But anyway, we could agree to disagree on that. As far as the Glazers selling, right, and we'll get the questions out there in a minute. There's been some momentum on this over the last few weeks. One of the things I do want to point out, mind you, is the hubris of Tariq Panja um, and the New York Times, who are consistently wrong all the time, and their hubris, right? So a while ago, Tariq Panja dismissed the whole nonsense of Manchester United being sold as nothing more than a firestorm as a result of Elon Musk's tweet. First of all, I was so disrespectful to the other journalists that have worked so hard on this. He had no idea what he was talking about, completely clueless, done no homework, because if he did, he never would have said that. It was so disrespectful to other people. Uh, and the exceptional journalists that have worked really hard to get 
really credible hard information that is multi-sourced by highly credible people. So I wonder how Tariq's feeling right now. Um, and the New York Times, who took out an ad here, by the way, and defined themselves as the truth, the pure nauseating arrogance of that. Right. So <clears throat> um, it was important that I said that. I like Tariq in other aspects, but he's bang wrong here. And he owes some people an apology. I got some grief over that article coming out. And it just stank of snobbery. Right. We will tell you what goes on in the world. We'll not have any of you out there breaking stories or telling me. Well, we, we define what is true and what isn't. Well, there's a book out there about the New York Times being wrong on every major historical event for over the last 100 years. They never publish retractions. So anyway, uh, as for the Glazers, as I've been saying, and I said this on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, the information that I have that they are soliciting offers for football club is the best information on any story I've ever I've ever been given on Manchester United in ten years, right? And the multi-source, the credible the credibility of those sources, and I'm st- I was still getting it up until a couple of days ago. You know, I was talking to people at the 1958 group a couple of days ago, telling them I'm still getting really strong information that this football club. Is, is in the process of trying to be sold. Now, that doesn't mean it will be sold, it means that they're out there soliciting offers. I think it will get sold because I don't think that it will be short on offers, but I think it's also a football club that will get a deluge of offers. Um, whatever the Glazers spent is around an error to any potential billionaire buying Manchester United and would certainly be added to the debt. And what I'm told is any offer has to include paying off the debt. So it has to be 3.75 billion you know, circuit that number, plus debt, plus share options, right? What's the debt amount to? It's about 600, 600 million. So it uh, depends. We don't haven't seen the latest public figures, public accounts. Depends what was loaded on the debt for the spend and all that. Or, um, obviously, the Glazers needed to sustain the asset, right? Um, but uh, and also the protests. Manchester fans are impeccable. Right, 1958. All those native fans that have been so vocal. I mean, the, the club in many ways don't support, don't deserve those fans. Um, and the coordinated efforts from United to try to dull those protests by taking down, let them take down the flags, because it, the optics on it are horrible. And they know that, which is why they didn't do it this weekend. I'm sure. I'm sure of that. Um, you know, it, it, it's actually better PR to watch them pull, the, make them take them down, right? Uh, you know, we're sitting there getting these nauseating clips from the Glazers about Manchester United, how important they are to the community and how important fans are and all this. How dare you? You know, what, what it means to be a Buccaneers fan. Uh, so the Glazers, uh, they didn't become benevolent and give United money this summer. That's Manchester United's money. That's the football club's money. Right? It should have been there June 1st. Right? It should have been there the minute they signed Ten Hag, not panic. So, um, as Gary Neville's pointed out, Mike Keegan's pointed out, there's a lot of momentum on this. Uh, and uh, there's still, you know, from what I'm being told, the Glazers are still looking to sell Manchester United. And that the fact that United haven't denied that is also very telling. They are under obligation to deny that if there's no truth in it. And they didn't. They did, however, make the effort of denying that they were selling off future revenues, right? But yet lost their tongue when it came to everything else, which is telling. So it's more telling what they didn't say than what they did say. So very, very encouraging, although my suspicion is United are going to end up in some petrol state. Now, there's talk to people wanting the football club from Dubai. Just because they're from Dubai doesn't make them bad people. It matters what they do with their life and where the source of money comes from. And people are going to have their own opinions on this, and that's up to them. Me personally, I don't want to see that happen. I want to see United be bought by someone like Jim Ratcliffe, um, who I think would be someone that is, understands what it means to be a Manchester United fan and what values this club should exhibit. So there's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite confident in the information that I have that it's, com- it's commensurate with what Mike Keegan said. Well, uh, well, we get on to some questions. Most of them are actually around the, the takeover of the club. 
potential takeover. Um, yeah. So I think some of them I'll try and I'll try and get ones that we haven't. So first of all, what did you think of Anthony's debut and how he handled the pressure? Personally, I think Anthony was very good. I think it was still raw. You could see that he was thrown in at the deep end. There was one stage he, he slide tackled McTominay, I think, as well. It was just a, a breakdown in communication. But he looked good. I mean, he got his goal. Happy to see it. I think it was the right decision to take him off after 16 minutes. I think he coped with the pressure fine. And I think over the next couple of weeks, we'll see him grow into himself more and become more at home. And I think that's only just going to happen with time. Yeah, look, I mean, you score in your debut against Arsenal uh, in a tight game. You open the score and it couldn't go any better than that. That'll help his confidence. He hadn't played in a couple of weeks, I understand. Um, but um, so it was understandable that in the Premier League is so fast. So it was understandable that he didn't finish the game. I felt that he would start over Alanga. And look, I think he had an okay game. You know, and I think I didn't go, he had a good game, but everything else was okay. You know, I'm very I'm excited by the kid. Really like what he's bringing to the football club, and I think he'll be an exceptional send. That first goal will help him immensely. Um, really eerie, similar to Andy Martial's debut. Yeah, almost just the same. Another one from Ryan Dizzy says, Are there any updates on Bernard Menzi or Tunzibi? Um, where they are at the moment and why they haven't been involved at all? What was the first, qu- the first one? Um, Bernard Menzi and Tunzibi. Are you talking about Mandy? No, <laughs> he's talking about Dion Ber- Bernard. Oh, Deshaun Bernard. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, from you team, I honestly I haven't asked me. I have no idea, but it is a bizarre situation. The Axel Tunes EBs. I remember Villa really wanted to keep him last year. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, I would be concerned that he's sitting. What is he? Twenty four now. Yeah, twenty. Yeah. At this point, you're supposed to have an established career. And to me, the fact that he's still there is extremely telling. You know, just sometimes these kids don't work out. You know, I remember wanting Ryan Tunnicliffe so badly to get promoted in the United's first team and be a first team. I don't even know if he's still playing football right now. I, but it was back at the time when they were playing cleverly and everything else, and I wanted him in the first team. I thought, this is a exceptional young player. I thought about him whenever James Garner happened. I was like, I didn't want Garner to be sold, but I also didn't want Ryan Tunnicliffe to be sold because I thought he was going to be an exceptional talent. And I think that it was telling to me that clearly Ten Hag didn't rate James Garner because he, given his skill set, he was an obvious player that should have played in one of those first two games, given you that hadn't got that type of player. So, um, and it's also, why didn't Forrest come back in and try to buy him? Strange, strange circumstance. But see, to be honest, I'm happy that there's a buyback clause there, and that there is a possibility that we could get him back if he mm-hmm. turns out to be good. Whether he does or not, I don't even know if he gets if he's able to break his way into that Everton midfield. I mean, that's a tough midfield to break into. He would have had more opportunities of Forest had he went there. I think so. I you don't know what way it's going to end up there. Yeah. yeah um. Yeah. Another one from James Matthews. Have we heard anything regarding Brandon Williams' injury and how long he might be out for? Wasn't expecting him to be in the squad mm-hmm. list, but he's been out since preseason. We've heard nothing on him. <clears throat> uh, I don't want to talk about Brandon Williams in terms of his injury. Um, I don't know. I, I'd rather let him have some privacy on that. Um, as far as uh, as far as Brandon Williams leaving the football club goes, look, Southampton wanted him last season, and the deal would have been take him on loan, pay his wages, and. Uh, he would have been, I think, the highest paid player at Southampton if they had done that. Uh, Carl Anker was talking about this on the Fantastic Talk of the Devils podcast. And uh, that's where I got that information from, by the way. So strongly suggest you listen to that. That was a few weeks ago. Um, they did that podcast. So I think that's part of the problem why Brandon Williams is still at Manchester United. Because one, no club wants to pay his wages. Um, but given how, how I'm sure if you're going to send him out and don't have to subsidise it. Uh, and two, part of me wonders if United might play him at right back ahead of Wan-Bissaka when he's fit. I mean, yeah, it's definitely an, opportun- an opportunity to do that, isn't it? And I think mm-hmm. he's probably a better option at right back than Wan-Bissaka. Wan-Bissaka just offers you nothing going forward. Great defensively, you know, maybe could it be that Wan-Bissaka's, I don't know, I think he's too much of a, a headless chicken, but could he be moved 
in this centre back as part of a three? Could he be retrained as a centre half? Because defensively, the guy's unbelievable. He's, he's very, very good defensively. He's Trent Alexander. Alexander Arnold turned his head out. He actually is. That's it. Exactly. So it's bizarre. Um, Fem two Ricky, had a baby. You, you, you get the best. You get you get coffee. You could set that up too. You're the man to know. Um, Ricky says, "Do you think that we have enough to challenge for the league?" He does. The standard is nothing special this year, in his opinion. I don't know about that. I would say that um, <laughs> City are so far ahead of everyone that um, he still take points off them. That were, I mean, in my opinion, they should have lost against Villa at the weekend. <clears throat> Newcastle took points off them, um, three each. Uh, but Holland is just a, a, a freak. And, he is a freak, to be honest. It, it, I mean, all his goals are coming from inside the six-yard box. And the people who don't play football can watch that and go, I could do that. But the anticipation, right, the movement, this, his physicality, he knows he's just such a frightening player. Now, the one thing about Holland that is an X factor is he has a lot of injuries. And I think mm -hmm. he missed up to 40% of Dortmund's games with injuries. Yeah, he did. So there's no way he stays fit the entire season, right? Julian Alvarez is a good wee striker. He's scored three goals already. But is he? I think he's more Gabby Jesus than anyone. <clears throat> then, then, but uh, that would be if I was a City fan. The one concern is you've now set that team up to play through Holland. You know they got rid of Sterling and everything else. Um, it, it, can you adjust when he's not there, when he's injured, to to the same level? Um, we'll end it on this one. Actually, before we end it, I want to throw one out there to you. We've seen Wolves. Potentially signing Diego Costa, would you take mm. him at United for a season? Nah. I would, as a as a backup number nine for a game where you need someone to throw themselves about. Why not? Do they not have that with Ronaldo right now? Though? Not really. Ronaldo doesn't isn't gonna throw himself about like Diego Costa. Well, he also wouldn't accept playing ten minutes here or there if we're chasing a goal at the end of a game. Whereas yeah. I think Diego Costa accepts that. So I that's one I definitely five would or take. six years ago, but no, nah, no. Nah. Nah, I still I still would. Right. Last question. Peter Gillespie says, what date and month do you think we will be confirmed champions in the February, early March for him? Is I'm that a serious person? I'm going to throw it out there and say March. I'm with Peter Gillespie on this. We're going to be champions this year. Bring it right. back to Old Trafford. <clears throat> champions alike. There's more chance of my sobriety lost in the season than United um, winning, the, the, winning the league. Well, Look, I to, would love to be to fair, you, you, you had us getting relegated at the start mm -hmm. of the year, so anything could happen, mate. Nice, but I, I am a master of doom. Right. It's the best way to be that way. You can never be disappointed. Um, you only be happy when the worst doesn't happen. Um, I, I look. I should say. I think realistically, for United this season, a strong top four finish. Not where they're trying to get top four last couple of games. Where you're looking at a team going, okay, that that's a team that's ready to challenge for the title. That's when. That's when you know. Whenever they'll finish a strong second. Right, and I know they did that under COVID, when when COVID happened. But I'm talking about not a season where they're coming from behind constantly, where they've really only got one way to win. I'm talking about where you know they they've got routine wins, where you know they're if they lose, they don't go on a losing streak of four, five, six defeats. They lose, they win the next one. They you know I think for United, that's when I think they'll they'll be in a tight race. Um, It'll also require City getting a bit weaker. Like if you look at all the great eras when they came to an end, part of the reason why they came to an end is because they got weaker. And football has is in danger of not having those cycles anymore because of the massive amount of wealth of the top teams have, where they're now oblivious to these cycles. You know, look at Bayern Munich. <clears throat> yeah, that's a concern. That's and so you could realistically have a situation where some top team dominates for 30, 40 years. And that's not good for football because the wealth gap is just too big for anyone to realistically catch over a 38 game season. Yes, you can beat them on a one-off, you can beat them in an FA Cup, you can beat them in, but, but to catch them over a 38 game season, probability completely changes. So I think uh, United, we've been here before, we've won four games um, and we all want to get carried away. But realistically, I think for United, um, if they United finish second this season, which I do think second is up for grabs, right? I think that when I look at everything outside of City, that second is up for grabs. So if they finish second, a strong second, where they were within maybe 10 <coughs> points of City, 
I think that'd be an unbelievable season. Well, it's true. I think we're going to win the league. We've seen it all. We've won a lot. Let's do it. Why not? Love it. We'll end um, on that. We'll leave it there, folks. Thanks, as always, for all the downloads, likes, retweets, all the love. I hope your mental, physical health is all wonderful. I know it's, these are tough times for everyone right now. Trust me, um, we're all feeling it. I hope you're okay. And um, thanks for all the love and thanks for all the messages. And uh, I hope this reaches you safe and sound. Callum, all the best, mate. Have a good one, mate. Speak to you soon. Cheers, pal.